Look for 7 at 7 local streaming news from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Find it on your smartphone at the RJ app or it's available on Roku TV, Fire TV and Apple TV. Download the app and you're ready to go for 7 at 7. You're listening to Vegas Nation. It's Wednesday, which means it's time for takeaways with me, Heidi Fang. What's up, everybody? It's time for another takeaways edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Fang, and I have got a lineup for you today. This podcast is brought to you by the Las Vegas Review Journal and also presented to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. All right, that lineup I was speaking about, I have in store for you Raiders fullback Alec Ingold, and we're also going to hear from both hosts of Tape Don't Lie, B.D. Williams and Mark John. So don't forget, again, hit subscribe wherever you're listening because I bring you all the greatest interviews right here on this show and July is only going to be heating up and you don't want to miss a thing. We're going to get it going here today with Mark John and he's going to break down all of the great things that you hear on Tape Don't Lie and how it got started. Me and BD, uh, we, we were uh, we both do like kind of like film breakdowns and stuff like that, and uh, we both like the Raiders. So uh, I mean, basically, we just follow each other on Twitter. You know, kind of we're just commenting and you know, uh, you know, liking each other's stuff and kind of going back and forth that way. And then uh, one day we DM'd each other and decided to do a film session. So we did like a film session, and you know, kind of it was actually on Nelson Aguilar. It was last year. Uh, we did a film session on Nelson Aguilar right after they signed him, and you know, we kind of just like watched film together. And, uh, you know, kind of realized, you know, we we both kind of know what we're talking about. So uh, and then right before the season, we decided that, hey, we should start the podcast. And, uh, you know, we we got on YouTube and we did a color breakdown. The first episode was a little was a little was a little spotty. But, you know, we've we've been picking it up and we we expected the show to get better and better as we get along. But it's kind of blew up out of nowhere. Uh, We weren't expecting it to kind of get to where it's at. I mean, it got to like we're almost at uh, about 4,300 subscribers right now. So we're still growing. So. And, and, you know, we're not one of those YouTube shows that just comes out like every single day with something. We're kind of like a like a show that, you know, pops up on people. So I think people appreciate that, too. So but it, it's it's been a good ride so far. Definitely. I've enjoyed what I've seen. I watched your most recent episode and a couple other ones. I just picked at random. Uh, I love your guys' breakdowns. And I got to ask you, who does the editing on these shows? Because it's super tedious. It takes a lot of work. I don't think people realize the work that goes into breaking down the tape, getting the film, all of that. How, how Who does all of that? And how long does it take you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, usually, uh, BD does does most of the, the, the background stuff. Uh, he does like a... Uh, a lot of the putting it together and putting the show together, but the actual breakdowns and like putting together the cutups and stuff, we both do that. We both look for those things. We put the cutups together, um, you know, put all the angles and like you know spotlight things and circle things and try to slow things down and you know get really close to things. So yeah, we do all that stuff uh, ourselves, but you know most of it is um, you know the the background stuff, like the actual editing and actually getting up there. That's BD, but you know the the actual you know the graphics for what's happening. Uh, we both do those. Ah. I do offense. He does defense based. <laughs> That's a good way to split it up. I and mean, you both got to yeah. share on special teams, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, like I said, I watched your latest episode of tape. Don't lie. And, um, I wanted to get into part of what you guys had discussed in that episode being a uh, car and the aggressiveness factor that we'd all seen with Kurt Warner's breakdown. And I've yeah. talked a little bit about it with other people, but What I liked about your breakdown is you guys are talking about the tight windows of space and how when people, you know, quarterbacks make their determination to throw, there's such a limited time to be able to do that. 
And a lot of what you've seen out of Carr, uh, what your discussion was, was can he be more aggressive and what are the outcomes? So what did you take away from that and, and looking at Carr and the angles and the things that he can do and uh, becoming more of an aggressive quarterback? I think to be an aggressive quarterback, like how you know Kurt Warner was describing, I mean, you have to be a, a great quarterback with like timing and anticipation, right? Everything has to be timed up perfectly because to fit into that window, you got to have timing and, you know, you, the, the defender, you got to get in there before the defender can react. And sometimes before, you know, your receiver is even finishing his route. I mean, that's when you have to start throwing the football so you could fit it into those tight windows of that timing and anticipation. And I know when, when Carr is working through Gruden's offense, especially the first the first two years, you really didn't see that a lot from him. You didn't see a lot of anticipating. You didn't see a lot of him. It was, he was more of like what they call a see it thrower. Like he had to see it open and then he would throw it. But, you know, last year we start to saw, saw more of the anticipation. Um, you know, if you watch tapes online, my bucks episode, I'm like having a freak out because he's starting to anticipate and stuff like that. So like, it's, it's, uh, it's something that he's growing at. And I think he's gonna get better at as the offense goes along. It's one thing I've learned from watching quarterbacks is like they, it, as, as the more they get into the offense, the more they, anticipate you know and he's going into year four i mean that's going to be awesome for him he's probably going to be anticipating like crazy like he was at the end of the year but you know it, it, it is a thing it, you know I, i'm not gonna act like that you know Derek carr you know sometimes he could be decide he can get to the check down a little too quickly sometimes he's too smart of a quarterback for his own good because yeah that's the right thing to do based on the coverage look when you're in your drop back but sometimes you gotta let things develop more and, and things like that and the intermediate part of it was still not not use that much. I mean, it was a little bit more at the end of the season, but it's not like, you know, how, how most quarterbacks use intermediate level, how they target. So I think they have, they have to get more into that for, for him to be more aggressive that way. But I do think they, they are trying to throw the deep ball uh, a lot more. And I mean, it, it was kind of funny with that video, you know, Kurt Warner was talking about how, you know, you got to win to be more aggressive, to be a win. And I, and I, so I looked it up and, um, and the Raiders win, you know, uh, Derek Carr's average depth of target was nine yards and their losses. There's like, it was 7.8 yards. So, I mean, huh. maybe he, he had a little bit of a factor in there. So yeah. that's interesting. That's a good stat right there. And that's why I like the show. I do. <laughs> you guys pull up these things that are great. And, you know, something else I remember reading about was the amount of field goals that this team had attempted over, you know, the past season. And I think if I remember yeah. right, it's 34. Four or 35 total um, over the course of the season. So when you look at the red yeah. zone struggles the Raiders have had, what do you put your finger on for what really needs to be the determining factor in converting some of those field goals to touchdowns? Well, one thing, they got to run the ball better down there. Um, they they, they um, didn't run the ball very well in the red zone. Um, Josh Jacobs uh, inside the five, he had, uh, he had eight carries and had five touchdowns. You know, compared to like, you know, uh, Derrick Henry had 17 carries and eight touchdowns. So it's it, I mean, they have to run the ball better. That's that's the key factor. A lot of people don't talk about that, how they weren't able to run the ball in short yards that well. And with how many times they're running the ball, I mean, Jacobs should have had like a, a 17 touchdowns instead of just 12. So, I mean, that's one factor. Another factor is, you know, I think John Gruden has to get a little bit better and um, his play calling down there to get more creative, you know, give more options for 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 Derek Carter to work with. Um, and, and, you know, 
w- one thing they're missing too is somebody that can just win and get open in one on ones really close and really close quarters. I mean, they have Darren Waller who can do that a little bit, um, but you know he's he's not the he's not the uh, I mean he's a tight end. I mean that's basically kind of basically what I'm saying. He's not he's not fully Travis Kelsey. He's getting there with his his route running is getting better and better, and maybe he could do that this year. But they need somebody that can just win down there too, like somebody that Carr can depend on that that's gonna get open down there, which they don't have right now too. And another factor is that I think um, coaching is being factored into Carr because Carr. He's throwing the ball away a lot down there. So um, stat that was in PFF, uh, the QB annual this year, is that um, they threw the ball away in the red zone 12% of the time. And then, like, compared to, like, when Derek Carr, before John Gruden was here, he was, like, in the 5%. He was, like, right? So there's a lot lot more of cautiousness. And I don't know if that's coaching or I don't know if that's Carr being more passive now or or is he being coached to that. But, I mean, based on how he was before Gruden out there, and how he is now, you would think it's a little bit of coaching. So there's a lot of factors in the red zone. I mean, the main thing is that they got to run the ball and they got to get more creative. I mean, that's just basically the main stuff. But uh, I think the the wide receiver that can just win is missing too. Yeah. Do you think that anybody that they've picked up in the offseason, like a Kenyon Drake or a John Brown, can fill that void? Well, Kenyon Drake actually was really good inside the five. He had nine touchdowns inside the five on 21 carries. So he's really good there. He's really good, and I think that might be a reason why he might come in. Uh, John Brown is is interesting. I don't, I don't know if he's more of like a uh, somebody who win down the red zone. Yeah, I, I think one person they got to factor in is Rugs. I think they got to give Rugs more shots to the red zone, and I, I think that he can. I mean, sometimes he can't get off press, but he's he has a very high vertical leap, <laughs> and he has pretty good hands, and he's made some good contested catches last year. And I think that has to be factored in a little bit in the red zone because I, I mean, he, you have to take. I mean, it's like his vertical is like forty-two inches. I mean, you got to take advantage of that, especially when he has great hands, you know. And you know, maybe if he doesn't win, you can still get a fade route to him. Which yeah. I'm not a big fan of the fade route, but I think somebody like Rugs who has that vertical leap and has the hands as somebody that they need to start maybe trusting a little bit more in the red zone. Speaking about these routes, I want to get your take on how Damon Arnett can be better. You're talking about press coverage with rugs. Well, on the flip side of it, you know, we're looking at a lot of these cornerbacks and who might fight to stay on the roster this year. A lot of talks been about Damon Arnett. Um, but yeah. I, I'm curious because he did struggle. He struggled at, you know, reading the routes right. He struggled, as we saw in your latest episode, with his feet placement, getting uh, off the jump and enough time to do what he needs to do to stay with his man or to read the routes. So what do you think... Uh, that Damon Arnett can really do to step up this year? Uh, I think Damon Arnett has to get into the film room and just become smarter. I think he has all the ability to do everything he needs to do, but I think he needs to get a whole lot smarter and realize what's going on, um, not get caught off guard, you know, be situational, you know, like the Dolphins game. You can't, you can't let somebody get behind you that late. I don't care what coverage you're doing. I don't care yeah. if it's cover two. You, like you, you, you want them to throw to the flat. You know, you don't want them to throw behind you. So you got to keep getting your depth. You know, it, it's situational things. He's got to become a smarter player because if he's not smart, it doesn't matter if he fixes his transitions or fixes his, his feed or whatever he needs to fix. If he's not smart enough, it's not even going to matter, and he's still not going to play fast. So he, he he has to get in the film room or something and kind of just figure out what's going on, how the NFL, you know, works, you know, because it's not about who's talented here. You know what I mean? Like, everybody's talented. It's about yeah. who's the tape grinder, who, who's putting the work in, who's a professional, you know. So uh, he, he has to get into that mode, I believe. 
And, uh, you know, because they got so many guys over there that are veterans that are going to be like that. So he has to figure out, figure it out very fast. And I think that Gus Bradley is a good coach to help do that. As I speak a little bit, I have, I have some questions for BD too, who's coming on in the next half about, uh, you know, the Gus Bradley system. But from your end, I wanted to get your take on Jonathan Abram and whether or not he can be kind of like a cam chancellor and thrive as a box safety under Gus Bradley's system. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know about the, the, the cam chancellor. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know. I don't know about that, but I, I, I think that Abram can be better. I, I think he just has to be a little bit more. I think the same has to go with him. I think they, he just has to be a little bit smarter. You know, they have to play smarter. He can't take chances. Like it happened to him a lot. Like he, he just took chances like the chiefs game with the Mahomes touchdown. He just decided that he was going to go attack Mahomes, and he mm-hmm. left his own. And then Mahomes is smart and just threw it over the top of his head. So it's, it, he, he has to not try to be a hero all the time. I mean, the Broncos game, he did the same thing on the 92 yard Jerry Judy touchdown. He tried to be a hero. They threw it over his head 92 yards later as a touchdown. So, he has to. He has to do the same thing that uh, I think Arnett does. I think he's going to get more of a chance though because he has shown some flashes of being good. Like he, I mean, I think he had like about three interceptions last year. Uh, so I mean, he, he has some flashes of being a playmaker, you know. Uh, so if he has those flashes, you're excited because especially with a young player, that maybe it's something that could be untapped because it's not like Arnett where you really didn't see a lot of flashes last year. You know, Abram, you saw flashes of somebody that could be good. So yeah. and, and that's how they have to look at is just getting him in a position where he can win, um, you know, kind of let him avoid man on man coverage as much as possible and try to get him like in, in the box and maybe some blitzing, you know, kinda, maybe like a Jamal Adams role type of thing. I mean, okay. You know, from Seattle. So yeah. that's, that's kind of how I would look at it. So when you start thinking about the cornerbacks, who do you think is going to have to step up their game the most to stay on the roster? I mean, it definitely had to be. Arnett and it probably uh, I think Amik Robertson too. I think Amik yeah. Robertson, he's really got a he's really got a uh, show that he can play. They really, they they you know Nevin Lawson has played in the slot for years. So even if you think you don't think he's good or not, which a lot of fans don't, <laughs> uh, <laughs> even if you think that, I mean he's been there for years. He's a veteran, so you know coaches love veterans, especially the you know Gruden and all those guys. They love they love a veteran guy who knows who knows everything is going to come in and and play well, but. He's also suspended, so we'll see there. But I think Amik Robinson, yeah, he's got he's got a long way to go. And I mean, there's courses like Keyshawn Nixon's and guys like that. I don't expect them to make the team this year with the kind of the the veterans they brought in, especially when they brought in uh, uh the, I can't even, uh Wilson, Reader Reader yeah. Wilson. They brought mm-hmm. him in too. So you know, it's it's going to be a tough road for Amik Robinson to make this team for sure. Well, I would love to talk with you more, but I've got to get to BD as well. And I okay. want to ask you, though, before you leave, where people can find your work, uh, where they can check you out on social media, drop all that information for us. Yes, yeah, so you got uh, um, at the Mark John or at the Mark John NFL for Twitter. So it's at the Mark John NFL for Twitter. And then, um, you know, you can find this on YouTube, Tape Don't Lie. Just type in Tape Don't Lie. You can just Google it, too. T- uh, type in Tape Don't Lie and Google. We should pop up and go ahead and follow us there. You know, and make sure you guys follow us on our Substack. We, we, you know, got some good articles over there, tapedontlie.substack.com. Uh, so you can check us out there, too, and check out everything. And, you know, we got some good articles going over there. Um, so, you know, just check us out, Tape Don't Lie. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to hear from Alec Ingold as well as your other host on Tape Don't Lie, B.D. Williams. 
please check out our new 7 at 7 newscast weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes from the Las Vegas Review Journal. Welcome back to the Takeaways edition of the Vegas Nation podcast. And before I get going into things here with B.D. Williams, I want to talk with Alec Ingold. We spoke all about his Money Minicamp, a program that he's put on in association with the Junior Achievement of Southern Nevada program. And this helps to teach kids about financial literacy. And he's got a lot of kids involved in this program. And he even gave them a tour in person on a meet and greet inside of Allegiant Stadium. So let's hear from your 2020 Raiders, Walter Payton, Man of the Year candidate, and about his program, the Alec Ingold Money Camp. You got the opportunity to finally have people at Allegiant and to welcome all the kids that were part of this program. So first, what was it like for those kids to get that opportunity? It was cool. We really rolled out um, the red carpet for them. They were able to see everything. And I've never been to that stadium tour, so for the first time I got to see a lot of the stadium. So it was fun. Uh, they had a, a blast. They were a little shy at first, honestly, a little quiet, just very wide eyed, but we opened them up a little bit, got them excited, got them talking about, you know, their favorite football teams and all that. So it was a good time. As the nominee of a Walter Payton 2020 a candidate that you were, this was like, I think a continuation to show what you've been able to do in this community for you as coming into Las Vegas and being able to put out this money mini camp and work with the uh, JA. um, How for you has it really been um, as far as getting out out into the community? Heidi, it's been amazing. Like when I tell you like Las Vegas is, it's just fun to be out in the community I just, I can't even, I can't even put into words. Um, and the, the recognition of award, like that's cool, but it also is like very motivational and it just makes you, makes you think about what more you can do and what more you can get involved in. And financial literacy is something that I'm obviously pretty passionate about. So that's one of those things I'm going to just keep going, keep working towards and keep pushing. So yeah, it's just another step. Uh, I think it's going to be something very exciting when we could get in person, get in the schools and bring some of my teammates along and get to meet these kids and tell their stories and, you know, the lessons that they taught virtually and get that in person. I think that's where there's going to be real impact. For sure. And like working with the Junior Achievement Southern Nevada program, what has that been like just for the, the students getting involved. Have you seen kind of a leap of interest being that your name is kind of fronting this campaign? Yeah, I think junior achievements outstanding. They have a lot of outreach, obviously in the, you know, in the school districts and they have a lot of that foundation already built. So when you're able to kind of add on to it, or I don't want to say add on to it, but just be in addition to something that's been so fortunate and already built so strongly. Um, that's where something real can happen. And that's where you kind of see some excitement get built upon where kids already know junior achievement. They've been through the classes, they've been through the curriculum, but then it's like, Oh, the Raiders are like kind of the new addition to that. So what else can we bring to the table? How can we spark some ears and spark some imagination? Um, and, And that's what really what has been going on so far. Right. I mean, I just kind of want to wrap up a little bit just because I know you're out. You're not in Las Vegas. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin. No, it's, <laughs> um, it's, it's much needed. I think you get to mentally kind of unwind before you're ready to 
lock in for six, seven, eight months and a, you know, a, a huge playoff run that we got to make this year. So um, being at home is awesome. Being with family is amazing. And yeah, I'm in, up in a cabin right now. You can tell with the, the wood paneling. So <laughs> you can see it. like foliage and trees in the back. It's <laughs> definitely not Vegas. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Alec, I really appreciate the time. But for you, you said that that was kind of your first look at Allegiant and seeing behind the scenes. What impressed you most about that stadium? I think the the attention to detail with literally everything. Whoever built that stadium, all the different individual contractors, every piece of that pie that had to get put into that stadium, you can tell was just built with so much, you know, intensity, so much attention to detail, every single locker room, every single light, every single, you know, painting is unbelievable. It's breathtaking. Um, You know, I thought it was amazing at the beginning, just locker room and stadium, but being able to go through the concourses, be able to see the different areas of the stadium. Um, It's like, it's a masterpiece. I don't know how else to describe it. I can't wait to get into some of those spots because I've been able, you know, obviously to see the field and all, but to be able to see everything. No, you're going to, it'll be cool. You'll be able to find, I feel like that stadium has your own spot. Like there's going to be places in that stadium where people are going to have their favorite areas to be at. And that's something that's really cool. I got to ask, what's it like working with Kenyon Drake and having uh, Jalen Richard back and Josh Jacobs in the mix? I mean, I've seen you guys out there obviously for the mini camps and the, um, the time that you've had with the OTAs. So getting to know these guys in the chemistry, what's that like? Yeah. So Josh and Jalen and I have kind of been, this is our third year working together. So You have that same flow. You have the same rhythm. You know how people work. And KD showed up, and uh, the way he works, it's like you just add it to the mix, a little bit of fire. Um, but that dude shows up. He's in hard. You know, I smile talking about him because he's that type. He just he brings a lot of good energy into that room, and I'm excited for everybody to meet him. I can't wait. The more you guys get to interview him, the more you get to know him. It, you guys are really going to like KD. He's, he's an awesome dude. Yeah, he was like, hey, the number it works on me in silver and black. So <laughs> I remember that was one of the first things he said. He was really excited. No, he, yeah, he's awesome. And then, you know, obviously on the field, he's pretty special too. So hopefully we're able to, um, you know, get get all those plays for him. And yeah, he's going to be, I, I get excited talking about KD. I get excited talking about our running back room. We got a good room. That was Alec Ingold, Raiders fullback. And now we're going to get into it with B.D. Williams from Tape Don't Lie. We're going to break down some of his analysis from their most recent episode where they talked about Derek Carr and also the cornerbacks. I wanted to get started talking about Derek Carr. Always a topic, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) And some of the things that you had said and talked about on the show was about the interceptions and how some of them are just either, you know, he's throwing off his foot wrong or that he's just kind of making, uh, you know, rush, rush throws that are causing the types of interceptions that we've seen. But I feel like over the course of time, and maybe you've done a show on this, the more problematic thing has been the fumbles from Derek Carr. So I wanted to get your take on what has been the real issue here at the line of scrimmage for Derek Carr, the fumbles or the interceptions? Yeah, so I mean, um, you know, interceptions, it's a big production when you're passing the ball in the NFL. You got offensive line have to block, quarterback has to deliver the ball, wide receiver has to catch it, you know, and hopefully, you know, someone on the defense doesn't make an incredible play. A lot of variables. So if an interception happens, it could be one of those links in the chain breaks. It's not always going to always be on the quarterback. Whereas when any any ball carrier fumbles, 
that's on them. It's a ball security issue. It's always going to be, you know, that player's fault. Um, and ball security is something that, every, you know, if a wide receiver, a tight end, running back, quarterback, fullback, everyone has, you know, that responsibility when you when you handle the ball on offense. And obviously, like the quarterback has, you know, the, the ball in his hands more, most often. So it's something that Derek Carr really is going to have to work on. It's, you know, I wouldn't say um, a weakness, but it's it causes some, you know, concern. 30 fumbles in three years. Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be an area of focus for him to improve ball security. Another area I know he's going to be working on is developing chemistry with some of these young wide receivers. Henry Ruggs is one that I think really needs to take the biggest leap of all of those young guys that are on the squad. Um, as you broke down in your latest episode of Tape Don't Lie, some of Ruggs' struggles come from press coverage. Break that down for me and what he can do to improve in that area coming in 2021. So, uh, you know, young receivers often will struggle against press coverage. Um, you know, some colleges, they might not even go up against much press coverage. Uh, Ruggs playing in the SEC, obviously he did go up against, you know, press coverage in college. But there's just a lot of skill. There's a lot of technique. There's a lot of strategy when you get to the line of scrimmage playing that chess match against an NFL cornerback. Um, there's different techniques that they're going to throw at you, and you got to be able to respond as an NFL wide receiver getting off press. And it's just something that takes time. He's going to develop that, you know, those instincts, some uh, some more um, skills at the line of scrimmage, whether it's different, varying his releases, varying his tempo, foot fires, jab steps. You know, there's a bunch of things that he could do. Um, but it's also knowing when to pull those things out, knowing when to respond with those things. And that's just something that takes time. Um, and, and I also think that he could probably improve a little bit of his uh, functional strength, uh, you know, just getting off uh, getting off press, you know, with a little bit more physicality. So it, it's going to improve whether or not it improves, you know, this year and how much by how much it remains to be seen. But it's something that it takes most wide receivers a lot of time uh, to learn how to do those things. You know, on the Raiders end as well, they did a lot of work with him and like alert routes and fly routes. So as you saw those kind of progress over the, the year, you know, we're also seeing him in these sweeps and, and just, you know, direct, maybe a direct snap might play well to him or something like that. Um, what do you think the Raiders can do in their schemes to utilize Henry Ruggs better? You know, um, we saw first half week one how they were using him. They were giving him uh, bubble screens and reverses and they wanted to get the ball in his hands and he ended up, um, you know, hurting his knee. And I think that some of those, some of those packages kind of got taken off the table because they didn't want, they wanted him to get through the season. Um, so I do think that that's going to be on the table th again this year, getting him the ball early and often and, you know, letting him use some of that speed with the ball in his hands. Um, going back to when John Gruden had Joey Galloway as his wide receiver when he was in Tampa and Joey Galloway, everyone knew incredible speed. But when you look at Joey Galloway highlights, it's not necessarily him running, you know, the fade ball or the go ball and, you know, running under a catch 30, 40 yards down the field. It's him winning a quick slant and taking that to the house. And mm -hmm. that's something that even we saw Hunter Renfro do in his rookie year, and we really didn't see that from um, Henry Ruggs. So if Henry Ruggs can win off line of scrimmage, get the ball in his hands quick, in rhythm, take off down, uh, you know, um, that's going to be a big area of, of growth for him, and it's going to help the Raiders offense. This is very intriguing stuff. Um, <laughs> Gus Bradley's system, you know, 
it's something that a lot of people are just anticipating to see how he can really repair the defense. And a lot of people have been saying that the ease of his system using the cover three is going to help a lot of the players come at leaps and strides from what we've seen in last year. So I wanted to ask, when you look at like the three technique and Gus Bradley's system, who do you feel like fits best into the system? Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, specifically at three technique, if we're talking about defensive tackle position outside of the shade of the guard, um, it, and they brought in a lot of defensive linemen. And they cut Maurice Hurst, who is a three technique. They cut David Irving, who is a three technique, um, in the, especially in this scheme. Um, so it's going to be a, a lot of new faces competing for this role. And, you know, I can't sit here and gaslight you and tell you that these are like some, you know, dominant players, you know, maybe. But right now, what we've seen from all the guys who are in the mix for, you know, getting this position or starting at this position, um, you know, at best, we're just talking about a steady NFL player Uh, right now. Probably Quentin Jefferson will, you know, be the opening day one guy who comes out on first down. He's a he's an all around player, solid run stopper, okay pass rusher, just not a wow dominant type of impact player on the defensive line. And behind him, it's going to be either like Solomon Thomas, Kendall Vickers, Darius Filon, Darius Stills, Don Jett, the rookie free agent, um, competing. You know, even Cleveland Furl will get in there um, at the three technique on passing downs. So it's going to be a lot of guys competing, and we're going to see who ends up, you know, securing that role, you know, uh, especially in the pass rush situations. Uh, but right now, it's a lot of unknowns. So we'll see. So when you think about Gus Bradley's system, one of the questions I wanted to talk about was, or ask you rather, sorry, was how good can the cover three system be in the AFC West division against the opponents that they see regularly, like the Broncos and the Chargers and the Chiefs? Yeah, I mean, this this uh, Gus Bradley does have a good track record going up against Patrick Mahomes. And uh, I think that one of the biggest benefits from this defense is because a lot of the time it's going to be cover three players are going to have more of a chance, more of an opportunity to focus on their technique, focus on tackling, um, focus on the finer details of the game that they probably weren't focusing on too much under Paul Gunther because the volume of the defense was so big. They had to go through so many plays and install so many different things where we're not going to have to worry about that under Gus Bradley. Players are going to be able to not only play faster, but just play better because they're able to hone in on the, you know, the nuance of football. So that's one thing that's going to make this team better. And then also, um, you know, again, Gus Bradley has a good track record against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, some of Patrick Mahomes' worst games have been against against Gus Bradley. Um, and it's not just cover three that he'll use. It's more Cover three is more of like the first down play call, second down play call. But when they get into third downs, they're going to they're gonna mix it up like the rest of the NFL does. Um, but it's it'll be a rare third down that'll be in cover three. They're going to you know do some different things. Yeah, that's uh, one of the things I was reading about, like the cover three, just trying to figure out how the system works, its intricacies, it's the weaknesses of it. If you have like two verts on either side of the field or like one, um, one in the flat and one on a 10-yard out, then it leaves like a route open. So do you feel like that a lot of people are going to easily kind of hone in on those weaknesses of the system or is, is there enough yeah. is there enough diversity of the system that it's not going to leave that many problematic situations? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, when we're talking about, you know, s- standard four verticals, people think, okay, that's how you beat cover three, but pretty pretty standard across the NFL and even college. Um, cover three has evolved and adapted to be able to take care of um, four verticals pretty reliably now. 
Um, and that's across every scheme. Um, so that's probably that's probably not the biggest worry. And, you know, I'm not seeing a whole bunch of four verticals when I'm watching Gus Bradley's defense, people trying to attack him that way. Now, when you're, what you're talking about um, as far as one of the routes is always going to be open, the weakness in cover three is the flat. And especially if you have the route combinations that you're talking about, you're going to have a curl flat player and he needs to sit back in the curl, which is in between uh, the numbers and the hash before he moves all the way out to the flat. And so theoretically, the flat would always be open if you get like slant flat, if you get slant bubble, something like that. The quarterback should always be able to throw to the flat route against cover three. But how many offensive coordinators are going to sit back and just dink and dunk and throw to the flat, you know, 50 times a game. It's not, it's never going to happen. You're never going to have a quarterback that that's ri- that, that, that is that risk adverse. Someone's going to try to put the ball into danger. Someone's going to try to force something. And that's the beauty of this scheme is they make you play perfect because, and knowing someone's going to take a chance and that's when you capitalize on this defense. As we look back to some of the defensive notes that you had touched upon, one of the things that you mentioned was Clem Farrell kind of coming in, uh, playing more like on the inside, on the defensive line. And I wanted to touch on that because there's been a lot of talk about that, how you know he wasn't able to put the right pressure on the quarterback, but he was effective in the the positions that he played. And I think a lot of people saw that he had that talent on the inside. So do you think that that's something that we start to see more of with Cleon Farrell? I, I mean, it's going to be, ha- it's going to have to be, I and mean, this is his route to pass rush snaps. Um, and something that I've noticed with Cleon Farrell is similar to Solomon Thomas. He was subbed out very frequently on in pa- an obvious pass rush situations. So the at bats, he just doesn't have those, uh, to continue to develop as a pass rusher. And you also are, you, you know, you're not seeing as fluid um, the same instincts as someone like Max Crosby, who, you know, c- pretty consistently and reliably is going to continue to work and hustle and try to get to extra, you know, uh, uh, extra efforts to get to the quarterback. And Cleveland Furl, you know, if he, if his first move misses, you know, going back to his last two years in the NFL, if his first move doesn't work, doesn't seem to have many counters or it just doesn't get to them quick enough. Uh, so that's definitely an area that he's going to have to improve on, whether he, you know, what doesn't matter where he rushes from. Um, but then, you know, when you look at Max Crosby, Unique and Gawkwe, you know, you get into third and longs. If Cleveland Farrell can be that guy at three technique, I really don't care who it is. If it's Kendall Vickers, if it's Darius Stills, I don't care. Someone's got to rush the passer over from the three technique outside straight of the guard. Um, and so, we're, you know, we're hoping just for the draft capital's sake that that could be Cleveland Farrell. So we'll see. You mentioned Quentin Jefferson. How do you think the, the defensive line kind of plays out and in, in starting downs like one, one the first down, second down, third down situations? Well, I mean, at first down, it's going to be Jonathan Hankins. He'll be in um, and probably Quentin Jefferson. And that'll be a, a, and maybe even Cleveland Furl starting at defensive end um, in, on rundowns, you know, and especially if um, it's a team that likes to run the ball a lot. You might even see Gus Bradley come out and, you know, base 4-3 personnel. And there's, uh, and, you know, he likes to run the under front and that would really play perfectly to Cleveland Furl's strengths playing the, you know, five technique defensive end and an under front. Uh, but when you get into pass rush situations, you know, that's when you're going to see Max Crosby, maybe Cleveland Furl play three technique. You're going to, you know, um, and I think it's just going to be a big 
rotation of guys until someone solidifies themselves. Um, you know, I could prognosticate and make predictions, but you know, there's so many moving parts right now that it's, it's tough to, to really make a, a solid prediction because none of these guys have proven much in terms of pass rush in the NFL as of yet. So, yeah, we'll see. Love it. Well, I hope to have you back when we can see maybe after training camp, but we got a 53 man (laughs) roster and some preseason games under the belt. I don't know what preseason will even look like this year with only three happening. So uh, we'll see how that shakes out. But I really have appreciated your time. So tell me when you guys started kind of reading the tape, where did did you play ball? Did you play a lot of Madden? Because I know some people that have really learned a lot of football from like watching other guys break down tape and then playing Madden. (laughs) Like, how did you get your... heard that one before i um yeah. i had the good fortune of playing college football um for a few years and in uh in new york i'm from california originally but then i went to new york and i played um college football so you know i you know i had that good fortune and you know after i was done playing football uh, my playing career didn't go great you know i was uh i was a backup i was a special teams player but i was always like very uh, you know, just addicted to the X's and O's of football. And, you know, so after I got done playing, I still had like this void. I wanted to, you know, stay involved in football somehow. So I did coach high school football for a while um, before I, I made a career change that prevented me from doing that. But I also just soaked up as much, um, you know, knowledge. Uh, you know, there's different blogs and, you know, different coaching clinics that I would watch. I just learned as much as I can about football and uh, and that now, you know, I break down Raiders, t- you know, Twitter and stuff like that because I'm a Raiders fan. And uh, so, that, I mean, that's how it works out for me. Love it. That's funny. I'm a Cali, also a native, moved to New York, you know, stayed there over a decade just uh, trying to build up my media career. So there's <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> some kind of parallel nice. paths there. Right. Yeah. I really appreciate having you on today. And like I said, we got to do this again soon. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media and also what else uh, project wise you might be coming out with next. Okay, yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at BDWilliams18. Uh, follow the YouTube channel, Raiders uh, film channel, Tape Don't Lie. Just type in Tape Don't Lie, Raiders, and you'll find it on YouTube. Um, and, you know, we break down a lot of t- topics, individual players, broad strokes, scheme, uh, technique, things like that. We have a lot of topics that we break down. Uh, and then uh, we're also writing some articles on a substack, the Tape Don't Lie substack, where we, you know, go into some finer details about uh, certain topics. Uh, so we, we try to update that, you know, uh, a couple times every month on the Tape Don't Lie Substack. That'll do for my episode today. Again, as I said earlier on, don't forget to hit subscribe. I'm telling you, I've got so much great content and interviews lined up for you guys throughout the course of July. So you're going to want to hit subscribe. Trust me. I'm not even going to tell you who's on the show. Just trust in the fang. Hit subscribe wherever you are right now. And also check out all of our great content on VegasNation.com. That'll do it for me here today. I'll be back next week. Use your mobile phone to get seven minutes of nonstop news from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Seven at seven, weekdays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m.